0: But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. I am Jonah. I am a recipient of grace. I am Jonah. I forget that when I disobey, God will always try to win me back. I am Jonah. It would almost take a miracle for me to spend three days alone with God. I am Jonah. Sometimes I need to hit rock bottom before I pray. And when I do pray, it's all about me, not God. I am Jonah. Sometimes I use churchy words when I pray, but something still smells fishy. I am Jonah. When I pray I feel better, but I'm not sure I've really
1: repented. Good morning. In this series, we've said that at one point or another, we are all Jonah. If you're joining us today, we're in week number three of our study through the book of Jonah, where we've reached the end of chapter one. And today we're going to journey into Jonah's prayer in chapter two. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Jonah chapter two. If you would like a copy of the scriptures but you haven't got one, all you need to do is to raise your hands in the air, and our ushers will uh, be delighted to loan you a copy of the scriptures, and then you can follow along in the text with us. And if you're receiving a copy of the scriptures from them, all you need to do then is to turn to page 926, page 926. Last week, we left Jonah in the water. Now this week has been a kind of interesting week, started off the week uh, really well that made me kind of think almost of spring. I know that in about five weeks, many of us, me included, will be heading down uh, south where we'll be spending, can you believe that? We'll be spending spring break in the water. Winter is nearly at an end. I don't know about you, but I I love the water. I love being in the water. I grew up on the south Welsh coast, and the water was a lot warmer in Florida than it is in Wales, and it's a lot warmer in Florida than there is up here too. Um, But in a couple of weeks, there will be me, my wife, a number of our kids will be there. And invariably, when I go in the water, uh, something happens. As I'm in the water, I go to come out of the water, and I notice that my wife has single-handedly picked up all the six chairs. She's picked up all the food. She's picked up the, you know, the ice packs with all of the drinks. She's picked up all of the clothes, all of the towels, everything, and she's moved them about half a mile down the beach. That's really annoying, isn't it? So I go up to my wife, and I said, "Hun," and you know what she's going to say, right? She'll say, Craig, you're really uh, showing your age in that swimsuit. That's what she'll say. Uh, No, she'll say, Craig, I didn't move. The beach didn't move. You did. You drifted. A lot of us find ourselves in a situation where we seem far away from God because we drift. It's the pressures of life. It's the busy schedules. It's the craziness. And then before we know it, we just drifted. And that sense of God's presence that was so close at one point, now seems so far away. Drifting like that can take us so far from the sense of God's presence. But that really isn't the season that Jonah is in, is it? Jonah is in a season where God seems so far from him because he is intentionally walking so far away from God. Last week, Brad told us that Jonah had turned his face away. The reality is that Jonah turned his face away because he experienced, I believe, what sooner or later every person in this room who claims to be a follower of Jesus will one time experience. And that is that God also seems to hide his face from us. And the reality is the more severe the season, the more similar our experience to Jonah becomes just this week, a number of conversations with people who seem to be in a season where God has seemingly hidden his face from them. Are you in that kind of season? I believe it's true to say that the scriptures teach that at some point in time, followers, even faithful followers of God, experience a sense of God turning his face from them. Look at these scriptures. All of which are just a small sampling of of what the scriptures teach to be a real experience. The prophet Isaiah himself says, Truly you are a God who's been hiding himself. Is God hiding from you? Is that the way it feels? This God and the Savior of Israel, your God, your Savior, just seems to be distant. The psalmist, how long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face? The other psalmist says, why, O Lord, do you stand so far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? (laughs) Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our misery and oppression? What we've said so far in this series is this is Jonah's experience. People who read this book and just think this is a disobedient prophet, miss the point. Some people came up to me at the end of the first service and said, Jonah is the first example of a non-profit ministry. That's quite good. Disobedience, that's what we think, but that's not what we believe is going on. From 2 Kings 14, in the context of, of Jeroboam II, a, a, an idolatrous king, a sinner king who for some reason continues to receive divine blessing, and then you've got the righteous people of God, these righteous prophets who proclaim God's word, and yet There seems to be suffering on their part. And so you've got this this contrast. And in this season, Jonah finds himself struggling with God's mercy being shown to unrepentant people. God's blessing coming down when there are so many people struggling in the world. And in that season, that profound disappointment causes Jonah to essentially turn his face away. And this is what Brad told us last week is contained in this idea of Jonah running away. The word running away, the word from there, actually can be translated as face, having your face before God. He turns his face away. And so we know that God turning his face away is a real experience for Jonah. It's been a real experience for many of us. But the reality is this. This describes a feeling, not a fact. It is basically apparent, not actual. It is subjective, not objective. Because the truth is, God never leaves us. The truth is, in such moments, it's as if God is withdrawing the sense of his presence. He is always with us, whether we feel like it or not. And as Jonah descended from the top of the water down into the deepest depths, this was the question he was asking. You see, in the ancient world, the sea was always viewed with suspicion, it was the chaos of the deep. Does God's control and mercy, does God's provision and care for his people even descend this far? And the answer that Jonah would get is yes, it does. God is even here. As we go through Jonah chapter two, there are going to be three kind of phases that we're going to go through. We're actually going to talk about firstly environments, how there are certain environments where we find ourselves in that God has seemingly led us in, where It seems as though God is absent. Then we're going to talk about experiences, how God works in our experience to kind of bring us back. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about the issues that trigger our experience. And we'll see all of this through this prayer in Jonah chapter 2. But in order to get there, we need to look at the environment that God is preparing for those people who are in a season or who will be in a season where God seems to have hid his face from them. Have a look at this text, Jonah chapter 1. This text is all about environments. How God prepares not just a place of blessing, God prepares a place of refinement Look at this. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and nights. Now, look at this first word here. The first word that I want you to look at is that word provide, and that word provide means to weigh out, to appoint, to reckon, to number, or to prepare. God provided a fish. Or better said, God prepared a fish. Let me ask you, how do you like your fish prepared? God likes his fish prepared, obedient. Notice the irony. We have an obedient fish who twice in this chapter is revealed to listen to God's word, and we have a disobedient prophet. How do you like your fish prepared? was a question that greeted me the first time I ever ate fish in America. I kind of got used to, how do you want your burger prepared? How do you want your steak prepared? But how do I want my fish prepared? I looked at them and said, normal? (laughs) Preparation. See, when we find ourselves in a season of life where God seems to have hidden his face, We need to recognize that God provides a place for refinement. We've said that we believe that we're in a season of ministry, where we believe that God wants to do great things through us. But we recognize that before God does anything great through us, he needs to do something great within us. He needs to prepare us. And when God prepares his people, he pl- provides a place for preparation. And this place of preparation for Jonah was in a fish. Now, some of you can ask me questions, Craig, do you really believe the fish? Wait till next week, and I'll title that one next week. But for now, notice that God is providing a place and it's for a purpose. That purpose is preparation. Notice something else with this verse. We also notice... That not only is God providing a place of preparation, of refinement, okay? He is going to do an incredible deep work in there. So God, in his wisdom, chose a fish to prepare his prophet. And God not only provides a place of blessing, he also prepares a place of refinement. Look at this scripture from Proverbs 25, verse 4. Remove the dross from the silver, and the silversmith can produce a vessel. This work that God's going to do in Jonah's heart to refine him is going to involve God turning up the heat. God provides a place of refinement. There were a group of ladies who were studying the book of Malachi, and they came to Malachi chapter 3 and verse 3. He sits as a refiner and the purifier of silver. And these ladies looked at that verse and they said, what does that mean? They weren't sure. So one of the ladies decided that she was going to take it upon herself to find out the meaning of the words. He sits as a refiner and the purifier of silver. And so she called called a silversmith, and that silversmith, they're going to figure this thing out now. They called a, she called a silversmith and didn't tell him what it is that she wanted to do. But she said, could I, uh, could I just uh, come and sit there with you as you just do your work? The silversmith said, yes. So the lady goes there and she sits and she watches this silversmith at work. Again, not telling him the reason for it. And so she sees him sit there in front of the oven. The verse comes back to her mind. He sits as a refiner and a purifier of silver. She watches as, she, as that silversmith takes a, a, a container and puts some of the silver in there and puts the silver into the middle of the flame. The lady asks, why are you doing that? The silversmith says, well, the, the place at the center of the flame is where the silver is best refined because the heat will burn off all the dross that is there. And then the lady looks and she says, so how do you know when the silver is done? The silversmith laughs. said, that's easy. I just see my reflection in it. And then I pull it out. When we find ourselves in a season where God has hidden his face, we actually need to recognize that what God is doing is actually preparing us for refinement. And that refinement means removing all of those impurities, all of those elements in our faith that don't really allow his image to be reflected through us. That's what's happening in Jonah's life. God is providing a place, rather comical place, a fish in which to refine the prophet's heart. So God provides a place of refinement. But more than that, there's something else that's going on here. If you have a look, not only does God provide, but he also allows there to be a duration. Look at the words that define the duration here. It's three days and nights. In Jewish thinking, being in a place for three days and nights was the sign of death. In Jewish thinking, the soul would return to the body for three days, and at the end of that third day, it would depart the body and never return. In Matthew chapter 12, we read about the sign of Jonah. People wanting a sign. But Jesus says, I tell you, the only sign that will be given is the sign of Jonah. Three days and nights. The whole point here is that the environment that God immerses people into to refine them often seems like a death-like experience. But the good news is, life will come from this death-like experience. So what appears to be then a hostile environment, even the waters of the deep, opposed to God's will, is in fact an environment prepared by God to deal with Jonah's heart. God doesn't just use circumstances to bring us back. He uses environments as well. And an environment is that external condition, that surrounding, that actually encircles us. God uses them. So the real question here is this. Is there an environment that God has got you in right now where you feel encircled, trapped, engulfed, overwhelmed, that you can't get away from? If there is, then what you need to remember here is that God is at work refining you. God is at work putting to death those things that don't reflect his image. But know this, God is making you new. Something new will come. Now we see this really well, again, when we go back to Jonah chapter 1. When I go through books like this, I'm really, it really strikes me, it overwhelms me, how much there is in a simple statement like this. Look at this again, we've looked at Provided. The significance there. We've looked at three days and nights. The spiritual significance there. But a fish? Most of our questions about a fish are, is this fish real? But the Hebrew wouldn't have heard that when this book would have been read to them. They would have heard something else. You see, the word for fish here is the Hebrew word dag, D-A-G. It is the word for a masculine fish. So Jonah goes down into the water and he is swallowed by a male fish. We go into chapter one from inside the belly of the fish. The word here is not dag, D-A-G, but the female version for fish, which is dagah, D-A-G-A-H. And then we get to verse 10, and it switches again. As the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Seems to me that the fish had had enough of all of Jonah's moaning, and couldn't stomach it anymore. But it's a male fish at this point. Commentators ask themselves, why the switch? Did the person in that prophetic court listening to Jonah tell, his story after he returned from Nineveh, get it wrong? Did he add a couple of letters? And so there's kind of a little mistake there. No, that's not what's happening. What's happening here is that God is speaking a message to his people, telling them what is going to happen now that Assyria has come in and actually taken control of the land. God is providing a place of refinement. He's disciplining his people. And this discipline often seems like death. But guess what? Even though you may be swallowed up in death, life will come. And guys, in the scriptures, it's often the life comes through the lady. That's the reason for the switch. And so when we start to look at um, the Hebrew here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the first part of the prayer, we start to realize why the text switches from the male to the female because here God is birthing something new. And the number of the words that are being used here in the opening part of Jonah's prayer symbolize new birth happening. Look at this with me, the birthing concepts in Jonah chapter 2. Firstly, we read, he prays inside the fish. That is a a Hebrew term or a synonym for the womb. It's as if he's wrapped up in the womb. Secondly, we read in verse 2 that Jonah prays in my distress. Any of you got the name Sarah here? a word specifically used for the struggle of childbirth. You get in the picture here? This is a poetic book. Thirdly, he says, from the deep. That is literally from the womb of Sheol. All too often, we find ourselves in a situation where we can't, turn our face towards God because we feel that God has turned his face away from us. Now that's not fact, but it is our feeling. So what is God doing in our life in an experience like that? He's refining us. He's putting us through what is like, almost like a death-like experience, but we shouldn't worry because that death-like experience for the child of God will never result in death. It will result in something new coming from what was old, decaying, and a poor reflection of Jesus. And that is a truth that we need to hold on to. It's always true. So, Jonah is as good as dead, but God is working, and he may yet be reborn. This is what he hopes for as he's going through this experience in chapter 2. What's interesting here is that as he's going through this experience, he finds himself disappointed with God. I want you to look at this statement. The reality of our disappointment proves the presence of our faith. Disappointment exists because we have the hope something more. I've just called our attention to what God is doing when he seems to turn his face away. He's refining us. He's getting rid of all of those things that don't reflect Christ. He is actually working to give us a new experience of his ministry. But the reality is in that moment we feel disappointed. This week I had a number of people in my office who felt disappointed with God. And as I talked through with them the fact that disappointment, very much like doubt, is an indicator of faith, you could see their mind start to race. Many Christians feel that the opposite of faith is doubt. Friends, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is unbelief. Doubt is a path that leads us to a fork in the road where we will believe God and live, or we will curse God and die. Disappointment is a path that leads us down a road where we will either confess God and live, or curse God and die. Disappointment is an indicator of faith. Disappointment is an indicator that We expect something more from God because we know who God is. This is a game that I once purchased for my wife. I asked Vipka this week, Vipka, tell me, what is the most disappointing gift I ever bought you? And she said, seedler. Ha-ha. It wasn't funny at the time, believe me. We were newly married. We decided that when it came to Christmas, we would try and do the best gifts that we could, try and be creative for 20 bucks. This is how creative I am. And I remember giving her this gift, and um, she opened it, and I could see by the look on her face that she was like, and I said, but you liked that game when we played it, didn't you? And she was like, No. And I said, but you like board games, don't you? And she said, not for Christmas, I don't. As as an indicator of how she doesn't like this game, she hasn't even taken the pieces out of the card. (laughs) It's just sitting there. The point is this, when I gave her that gift, I could see the disappointment over her face. Why was she disappointed? Did she have a right to be disappointed? I think she did. And she was disappointed because she felt that I knew her better than that. She was disappointed because she felt our relationship owed her a little bit more than that. And in this case, she was right. And I haven't made that mistake again. Well, the alarm clock wasn't so good, but I think I got away with that one. (laughs) The whole point is this, we get disappointed with God because we live in a world where expectation is a marker, an indicator of faith. The Bible tells us in Matthew that Jesus performed no miracles there because of their unbelief. They didn't believe he could, and because they didn't believe he could and expect him to, he didn't. So, we, on the one hand, then, we recognize that the market of faith is a willingness and a commitment to actually expect. The only problem is, if you live with expectation, you are likely to get disappointed. Jonah lived with the expectation that the righteous would prosper, the wicked would suffer. He lived with the expectation that if he was faithful to God in his ministry, if he was competent in communicating what God told him to, then God would judge the wicked. He expected it. But unfortunately, all God did was continue to put down mercy after mercy after mercy on sinner kings. And he was disappointed. But far from that being an indicator that he didn't believe God, that was an indicator that he did, but he was dealing with his disappointment the wrong way. I wanna suggest, I think many of us get this wrong in our own life too. We fail to recognize that there's nothing wrong with being disappointed with God. Being disappointed with God is not not an indicator of unbelief. It's actually an indicator of faith. You believe that God can do abundantly more than he's done. The the question is, what are you going to do with it? Jonah was so disappointed, he wanted to run to Tarshish. Brad unpacked that last week. A place where the ancients believed God was not. He wanted to make sure he would go somewhere and he wouldn't even hear the name Yahweh again. He was that disappointed. So what does God do? God puts him in an environment where he was encircled and couldn't get away. And then the heat really being turned up We start to look at the prayer and we start to realize God is refining this prophet and he's starting to deal with the disappointment. Look at this, disappointment, if it's not dealt with properly, can result in expressions of anger, rage, hatred, bitterness. Those are secondary emotions, not primary emotions. So many people, I've I've counseled, they come to me and they say, Craig, I've really got an anger problem and I'm going to make sure that I count to ten before I say anything next time. Well, that's good, but you're dealing with a secondary issue, not the primary issue. The primary issue is, why do you feel like that? Jonah's running away is an expression of him turning his face away because he's disappointed. And as we dig into this prayer a little deeper, you'll start to see that some of the issues start to come out. But now God's got him encircled. God's got him right where he wants him. The fire's been turned up. And this prayer, right in the middle of the prayer, we read this. And remember where Jonah is. He's sitting on the bottom step, right down at the bottom. Doesn't think he can go any lower. But God's turned the heat up. Jonah recognizes that God's sovereign control even extends to here. Believe me, that's a work of God in and of itself. To be at the point of no return and then for God to speak into your heart and to remind you He's there is a work of God. And in that moment, what does it say? It says, I said, I said. That's significant because for the first time in this entire prayer, Jonah quotes direct speech. This is what he said. He said, I will turn my face towards you. I will turn my face towards you. I will, even in my disappointment, begin to deal with the reality that you are God and that your sovereign control extends even to my experience right here. The question is, when we turn our face towards God like that, what happens? I think when you look at the the text, two things happen. I think when we're in that dark place where God's seen to hide his face, but we recognize that this is a place of refinement, this is a place where he's getting rid of all of those impurities, where he's causing us to reflect him, when we get to that place, recognizing that new birth is going to come, it causes us to be able to turn our face back. And when that happens, the first thing that we need to be willing to do is to deal with cause of the disappointment and that begins by reliving our experience by telling god exactly why he's disappointed us we need to relive that experience and over and over again through the old testament and even into the new with paul we see the people of faith doing this jeremiah is a prophet who ministered for four decades 40 years In 40 years of ministry, only Barak, his friend, ever responded positively to his message. Over and over again, uh, Jeremiah, who was called the weeping prophet, went before God and complained. Go home and read Jeremiah chapter 20, where Jeremiah says, You have deceived me and I have been deceived. What is he doing? Reliving his experience. Go read the chapter. And what's fascinating about this prayer in Jonah chapter 2 is how it relives and retells Jonah's experience in chapter 1. This prayer that Jonah prays, caused by the fact that he's turned his face back, relives his experience of going down into the depths. It deals with the issue. I want to put this up really quickly. Remember, all of these slides are available uh, online. The prayer. Starts in in verse 2 with Jonah in distress. What he's doing here is reliving that experience at sea in verses 4 through 15. Then it talks about the belly of Sheol. It talks about him inside the belly of the fish. It talks about Yahweh responding to him. And then we read the fish is Yahweh's response. And so it goes on. And what the author is intending to tell us from this prayer is that when we turn our face back towards God in a place of disappointment the first thing we need to do is to basically be willing to tell God our story be willing to tell God why we're so disappointed he retraces his entire story And you can see it right here. But all too often, with God, as in our marriages, when we're disappointed, we give our spouse and we give our savior the silent treatment. But all that does is suppresses all of the frustration, all of the bitterness, all of the anger on the inside. And the more silent we are, the more we suffer. And so what we see here is God beginning to do that work. And so when we turn our face towards God, we relive our experience. And for many of us, just like Brad said last week, we can't do much more than that. Even doing that is such a big deal. I said that there were two things that happened when we begin to turn our face back towards God. The first thing is we need to be willing to tell him why we're disappointed. Learn to communicate with God in our disappointment. But the second thing that needs to happen is that we need to recognize that God's now gonna start to address the real issue. What's the issue for Jonah? Sinner kings and divine blessing. That's the issue. Jonah is frustrated that God continually blesses idolaters. People who worship false gods, while the people who worship the only true God, suffer. I want you to notice what happens in the second part of Jonah's prayer. Chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Now look at this. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Right there in the middle is the issue. Here's the point. When we turn our face back towards God and we start to deal with our experience, I believe instantly God starts to work. But dealing with the cause, the issue, takes a little bit of time. As we go into the rest of the book in chapter 3 and chapter 4, we'll see how this issue, God's lack of judgment on wicked people, takes another two chapters to work out. And there at the end of the book, Jonah is essentially sitting on the ground, being asked the question by God, will you allow me to do with people what I want to do? And there is no answer to the question. The question's out there. So notice then the disappointment is being dealt with. It can be dealt with immediately just by being willing to turn back and to look at God. God. But the issues that we deal with, they take a little bit of time to work out. And often the issue is, we see the world through our eyes rather than through God's. Just look at the way that Jonah prays this prayer. His entire prayer is self-centered. It focuses around him. In my distress, I called from the Lord. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. You hurled me into the deep. And that's interesting, isn't it? You hurled me. I thought he was a sailor, but there we go. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your temple." Verse 6, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. But I, with the song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. The point is this, when you read through the entire prayer that he prays, it's focused around him, not his disobedience to God's will. He's not dealing with the issue the first step is acknowledging the presence of god but the second step is actually dealing with the issue he's not dealing with the issue let me ask you this is there an issue that god is working on you through and are you dealing with it what this prayer tells me is it is possible for us to quote the scriptures in our prayer remember now This entire prayer is essentially drawn from psalms that were used in the northern kingdom at that point in time. Do you know it is possible for you to pray very scriptural prayers, but in your heart not allow God to deal with the issues that he's working on you with? Clearly then, Jonah's perception of reality is distorted. And the obvious question here is, is ours, is yours. I really believe that God has got great things in store for each and every one of you. And I believe that God loves you so much that he is going to allow you to enter into an environment where you feel hemmed in, circled, can't escape. Situations that no matter how much you pray for God to remove them, he doesn't just like Paul, three times I came to you, take this thorn from me, but he didn't. What did he say? My grace is sufficient for you. I believe that for every child of God that he loves, at some point in time, this will be our experience. Why does he do that? He does that because he wants to refine us. He wants the impurities to be taken away and he wants us to look more like Jesus. But the problem is this. In seasons like that, the easiest thing in the world to do is to turn our face away. But God says, don't do that. Embrace the refining work I'm doing. Look towards me. Turn towards me. Tell me what you're feeling. Tell me what you're experiencing. Allow me to minister to you in this season. But let's just have an honest faith. God is saying, let's deal with the issue. You can't run from it. You can't hide from it. And for us, just like for Jonah, the answer's out there. What's really interesting in Jonah chapter 2 is while he is railing off about the idolaters forfeiting the grace that could be theirs, You remember what's happening on the surface? But I talked about this in chapter one. These idolatrous sailors have sacrificed and made a vow to who? Yahweh. See, Jonah has got this idea in his mind, but his idea is wrong. Not all idolatrous forfeit the grace that's theirs. But Jonah's perspective is distorted. And if there's one thing I wish and I pray for all of you this week is that you would all see your situation in the way that God sees it. However hopeless it may seem, God is working to bring new life, new life in you, new life through you to the people in the world that need it. Church, believe that truth this week and may God refine you to be more like Jesus. Let's go to God in prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Just take a a moment of silence. And if you are in a season where God seems to have hit his face, the vitality, the freshness of your faith, because God, you sense God's closeness is missing, then tell him. And as you turn your heart towards him, allow him to minister to you. If you're here and you're disappointed with God, recognize that that disappointment today brings you to the point of choice the point of decision. What are you going to do? Turn to God and live or walk away from him and die? God knows the pain is real but he wants you to know that so is his hope. So is the life he offers. Father, for those you love, your word says you also discipline. We thank you that you not only provide places of blessing, but you also provide places, experiences, seasons, in which and through which we're refined to look more like your son, Jesus. Father, I pray today we would be a people that would leave this place, recognizing how important it is to continue to expect from you. For those that are here, that have allowed their expectations to just fall away. Father, restore a bold faith that believes. But Father, for those of us that are here, they're expecting the wrong thing. God, won't you just work through your spirit and refine our desires and our hopes and our dreams and line them up with yours. And above all else, Father, we pray that through this work that you are seeking to do in our hearts that we would look more like your son, Jesus Christ, Father, may that be true for us in this week. And as we come back here and worship together next week, Father, may we be more like Jesus next week than we are today because we've embraced your work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here today. I'll pick up the story next week in chapter 2 and verse 10. But until then, won't you stand with me? Let's pray a prayer of blessing. And uh, greetings, by the way, from Pastor Brad and Taran. They were on a bus on the way to Smyrna, um, which if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, that's the church that suffered. I said, are you suffering enough then? They said, no, it's 70 degree heat. And I said, Lord, bless them. but they do bring you greetings and they'll be back home with us next week. So friends and family of Central, as you leave here today, go in the blessing and the provision of God's grace. Recognize that if you find yourself in hard places, God is with you. God will never leave you, never forsake you. So embrace his presence, embrace his refining work and live like the child of God you've become. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, guys. See you all next week.